This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. On the program today, another invasive species has been identified, and it's killing trees and crop plants. A legislative effort aims to crack down on Missouri's temporary car tag abuse. And sometimes you have the urge to hop in the car and go. Jack Snelling is a recent graduate of the University of Missouri, and he traveled around the state and visited every county courthouse. He's with Marshall Griffin now to discuss his recent urge. This has been a project that kind of came around in the making for a really long time. Uh, I've always had a huge passion for maps and uh, highways and road systems ever since I was a little kid. used to spend hours on uh, Google Maps back in the day, just uh, on my mom's computer when I was like seven or eight years old, just like looking at different places. Um, and eventually it became a passion for learning about Missouri's historical highway system, which is actually older than the original U.S. highway system by about five years or so. The uh, What I learned through my research, which eventually culminated in a class project for a geography class, um, was that the uh, original point of the Missouri highway system was to connect all of the county courthouses across the entire state to each other. So what this, this road trip kind of came out of using all the historical highways that I'd researched and figured out where all the routes were um, to get from courthouse to courthouse to courthouse and eventually make that way to all 115 of them. And obviously this is something that uh, took more than one day to do. How, how long did you spend on the road? Yeah, it was so it was about 10 days. I averaged about 12 county seats per day, and uh, it, it ended up totaling about uh, 4,300 miles or so. What was your starting point, and where did you end up? So I started in St. Louis, and I ended up in Columbia, which made it really convenient for me to pick a route because I basically just – I mean, it's about 30 minutes between county seat to county seat, no matter which direction you're going. So I basically spiraled all my way around the state of Missouri and gradually worked my way towards the middle, ending up in Columbia. You're listening to Show Me Today. This is Marshall Griffin. We're speaking with Jack Snelling. He's a recent Mizzou grad getting ready to go to graduate school in Rochester, New York, where he uh, where he's going to be getting a master's degree in music. Uh, but uh, he spent he recently took a road trip around the state of Missouri, visiting every single county courthouse in the state, as well as the uh, the county as well as the courthouse in the city of St. Louis. Now, Missouri is a pretty big state. You got the Boot Hill in the southeast, and uh, a lot of the culture there is a, a lot lot more like the South. You got the Northwest Platte, uh, Platte area, which uh, probably has more in common culturally with the Old West. So was it interesting to see the, to see or tell that when you were passing from one part of Missouri into another culture-wise, was that easily distinguishable? Did it just seem to kind of just uh, fade into fade one re- region into another as you went along? Absolutely. It was a really, really interesting, it was really, really interesting phenomenon. Um, I would say especially in the southeast, you know, because there you have you have these, this giant flat farmland that's really similar to like the Mississippi Delta region, for example, um, in the boot heel. Uh, and then you can you can see the end of it because there's a line of trees and then mountains behind it that kind of uh, going beyond like Poplar Bluff. Um, so there's a really clear geographical barrier. And I think getting to talk to some people in the area, like it was very obvious that like there was a, there was a shift that happened along that line. Um, culturally from the o- Ozark region to the uh, to the southeast. And I think a very similar thing, just crossing the Missouri River uh, in the north, kind of everything in the, in the north uh, of Missouri kind of is, is very similar uh, when you cross that river. So going from Lexington to Richmond 
going from uh, from like for example Platte City to Harrisonville, um, and going from uh, from Boonville to uh, Fayette on the other side, for example. You're listening to Show Me Today. This is Marshall Griffin. We're speaking with Jack Snelling. He's a recent graduate of Mizzou, and he run and he took on a, a rather interesting road trip where he tra- where he drove to every single courthouse in the state of Missouri. Now, did you make this trip alone? You have a company? Yeah, so it was for the most part it was by myself. Um, that was the original plan, at least. And then it just uh, luckily there was some some. Uh, there were I got to meet a lot of friends along the way because obviously being a Mizzou student, I have friends that are uh, from all over the state, which was really cool. And I also had some friends that would meet me along and kind of drive along with me uh, for uh, for a day or, t- or so. Um, and so that was a lot of fun. Was it hard to find places to stay, like uh, motels, or did you have friends that you stayed with? Uh, it was a combination of both. Uh, usually every the nice thing is being uh, going to the county seat specifically. Every county seat, pretty much in the whole in the whole state, as long as it's like a, a fairly decent sized town, which most of them are. They they do have a couple uh, places to stay, um, and so it was it was about a couple days. I would say three of the of the nights were um, staying in motels and such. Uh, three of the nights were staying with friends and family around the state, um, and then for the last three days, I kind of told you about how I was spiraling and getting closer and closer to Columbia. The last three days, I was close enough to Columbia where I could just cut off where I was going, drive to Columbia, stay the night, and then get back on the road the next day. Now, some people might doubt that you actually uh, might actually question whether you really did go to each uh, county courthouse. But uh, if they visit your Facebook page, they'll see that you actually did because you took a selfie at every single one of them. <laughs> uh, so, so what 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 are you going to do with uh, this experience? Is it, are you going to maybe like do some? Is this for some project you might actually? use for for a school project later on or or maybe publish something yeah um i think that so uh, first of all i do i do have to say that i did i went specifically to the historical county courthouses as opposed to the current county courthouses because that was a little bit that was more applicable to what my the the historical highways of course um and a lot of the counties uh across the state have changed courthouses since then even if they're old courthouses still standing but I think in terms of in terms of what I'm planning to do with this in the future, you know, uh, if I was if I was a geography major at Mizzou in addition to my music degree, um, and I think that had I ended up finishing that degree, uh, it, obviously I still have a huge passion for geography as you can tell. But I, um, if I ended up finishing that degree, I would imagine that this would have turned into something like a a uh, the beginning of like a thesis project for a master's degree or something like that because um, I would love to end up using my travels and my research to actually make a uh, comprehensive map of the original Missouri highway system, which doesn't currently exist, that's been sanctioned by MoDOT as of now. What did you learn from this whole experience? I think that the thing that I learned the most out of this whole experience was that the people in the state really, really love their state, and they really love the history that goes that uh they all carry their, their personal history and their own relationships with um, with their history. Getting to talk to a lot of people on that Facebook post, because the, the, I was lucky to, to have that post reach so many people, um, really kind of opened my eyes to just how much these people really love talking about their experiences um, at their county courthouse, at other county courthouses. I got to hear a lot of really cool and uh, interesting stories through that. Just talking to you, I can imagine some of the places that you went and some of the places you stopped. 
seeing some of the photos uh, that you took at some of the courthouses. It's uh, it's it's interesting to hear you talk about this and to kind of envision uh, what where you went and uh, just the trip in in and of itself. Thank you very much, Jack, for your time. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was uh, Jack Snelling. He's uh, 22 years old, just graduated from Mizzou, about to start grad school in Rochester, New York. And he took a road trip where he visited every single courthouse. And we should say historic courthouse. Some of the brand new ones uh, not. But uh, every historic courthouse and most active courthouses across the state of Missouri. If you're tuning in late or want to hear more, subscribe to Show Me Today on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. AA made all the difference in my life. I noticed that most of the goals I had as a kid were slipping by. I didn't feel like the person I hoped to be. After all those years of drinking, I really didn't know myself. When I was out there drinking, I was always looking for the next great party to make me feel all right. With AA, I found a better way of life. And I feel good in my everyday life, even without a drink in my hand. Visit aa.org for more information and download the Meeting Guide app to find a meeting near you. Some people won't give you the real talk on drugs, but it's time we know the facts. Fentanyl is killing people. It's a powerful opioid, often made illegally and commonly mixed with illicit drugs. It can even be pressed into counterfeit pills that resemble prescription medications. Just two milligrams, about the size of a few grains of sand, can potentially be lethal. This isn't an ad to scare you, but it is an ad to make you think twice. Get the facts. Go to realdealonfentanyl.com. This message is brought to you by the Ad Council. Put a frog in boiling water and it'll jump right out. But put a frog in cool water and slowly heat it up, that frog will boil. As veterans, we tell ourselves the lie that we can handle anything. We let the water boil. You are not a frog. If you or a veteran you know needs support, don't wait. Reach out. Find resources at va.gov reach. That's va.gov reach. Brought to you by the United States Department of Veterans Affairs and the Ad Council. Here's Heather with the weather. Well, it's beautiful out there. Sunny and 75, almost a little chilly in the shade. Now, let's get a read on the inside of your car. It is hot. You've only been parked a short time and it's already 99 degrees in there. Let's not leave children in the back seat while running errands. It only takes a few minutes for their body temperatures to rise. And that could be fatal. Cars get hot fast and can be deadly. Never leave a child in a car. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. Welcome back to Show Me Today. Our next guest is Sarah Phipps, the State Survey Coordinator at the Missouri Department of Agriculture, here to talk about the spotted lanternfly. 
another invasive species that has been seen killing trees and crop plants. Yes, thank you for having me. Uh, so yes, spotted lanternfly is a large plant hopper native to Asia. It's about an inch long, and it's not a fly like its name states, but it's actually closely related to an aphid or a cicada. And it's a very unique looking insect. It has grayish colored front wings with black spots um, held tent-like over its body. And when it jumps or flies, you will then see a flash of red on the back wing. So it's a very striking looking insect. And and I was going to say, as we were mentioning off air, I, I kind of say that it's got the color of a butterfly, but it sort of looks like a mix between a bed bug and a moth. And um, so obviously this is a plant hopper. So I guess in a more simplified term, does that mean that they feed off of and eat plants and trees? Yes. So they're not picky eaters. They will feed on over 100 different host plants and they have uh, what's called straw-like mouth parts. So basically they put the straw uh, mouth on the plant and it will suck up the plant sap from the different host plants. I know that you had mentioned that they're not picky eaters, but generally speaking, what are some of the types of plants and what are some of the type of trees that you'll see them feed off of? So the biggest worry in Missouri that we have is one of their favorite hosts is grapevines. So we're really concerned with the vineyards because the vineyards in Pennsylvania, where the spotted lanternfly was first found, some of the vineyards went out of business because of this pest. Uh, they also uh, really like trees, so they'll feed on maple trees, apple, walnut, and then we have the invasive tree of heaven, and they really like that tree also. So uh, that, that is fascinating that you mentioned that because, uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of our listeners may tend to forget that, yeah, Missouri's got a, a rather large, uh, you know, grape uh, wine sort of area here and the fact that uh, that they pose a big threat to that obviously is something that causes concern because i mean heck who, who doesn't like wine i suppose you could say um <laughs> so the risk they pose to missouri is uh they, they feed off of missouri's grapevines and and some of the trees and some of the 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 uh, plants and you said right that's correct yes so they're labeled as pests and invasive species. And I guess my question to you is, is obviously they came from, I believe, South Korea, but how exactly did they get from there to the U.S.? Are there any theories behind that? Yes. Yeah, so what they think happened uh, was there was a stone slab company in Pennsylvania and basically in 2014 is when they found the population. And we think um, the egg masses, the spotted lanternfly laid the egg masses on these large stone slabs, and then they got uh, uh, shipped across the seas. Um, and then uh, since then, uh, it's now found in 14 states. So we have found it makes an excellent hitchhiker. And if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Sarah Phipps, a state survey coordinator for the Missouri Department of Agriculture on Show Me Today. We're talking about an invasive species that is called the spotted lanternfly. And if you're interested, you can obviously go to the State Department of Agriculture's website. They have a full web post and a full article explaining what they do, what they look like, and, and things in relation to that. So uh, you said, obviously, they, they spread pretty quickly. How, how do they spread, to be honest with you? I'm curious. 
Yes. Yeah, so spotted lanternfly finds way, its way to new areas primarily, primarily by hitchhiking with humans. So they can be found on shipping conveyances such as rail cars or trucks, or they can be found on uh, somebody's belongings. So, for example, I recently saw a photograph, I think it was from Pennsylvania, of a camping chair. And on the camping chair, there was a total of 10 egg masses. So if you were camping in Pennsylvania, for example, and then moved your chair back to Missouri, then the egg masses could hatch and we could have a population here. Oh, so we always uh, ask people to keep their eye out when they're traveling to other states and just making sure that they're not accidentally moving an invasive pest back to well, our state. Boy, as, as someone who's got a majority of his family from Pennsylvania, and there's someone who does a lot of camping in PA, I, I, I feel seen right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh no no so yeah but you know it's one of those things i think a lot of people don't think about because i mean these egg masses look like smears of mud so it doesn't actually look like an egg mass so if they were to see it on a camping chair unless they knew exactly what it looked like they probably wouldn't recognize it as an egg mass i'm glad you brought that up because i was actually going to mention that specifically i i i i've i've seen those over the years and especially if they are on, for example, a tree, you probably yes. wouldn't even have noticed that those are egg masses because they just they blend in and they look like they're b part of the bark. Exactly. They're when it's on a, a tree bark, just like you said, they're highly camouflaged and they're really it, you barely could see it unless you know what to look for. So uh, just more of a clarification before we continue the conversation. So they, they feed yes. off of plants and grapevines and trees. Do they actually kill them or do they just weaken them? So that's a great question. So what they have found in Pennsylvania is they will kill grapevines and they will kill Tree of Heaven. So with Tree of Heaven, there's no hurt feelings because it's an invasive tree. But with grapevines, of course, that's a big concern. For all the other uh, trees that they have found it on, like walnut and apple and maple, uh, they have just found that it can weaken the tree, but they have never found um, it to kill the tree. And if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Sarah Phipps, a state survey coordinator for the Missouri Department of Agriculture on Show Me Today. We're talking about the spotted lanternfly. And uh, also be sure to subscribe to Show Me Today on Apple or Google Podcasts, wherever it is you get your podcasts. In the search bar of your favorite podcast application, type in Show Me Today, click listen and or download and take us with you on the go. So what is Missouri doing to combat or guard against the spotted lanternfly? Yes, yeah, so our surveyors here at the Department of Ag are actively looking for this pest, uh, specifically in commercial areas where shipping and imported goods are common. Uh, we're also surveying areas where the preferred host um, grows. So like we're surveying vineyards and also stands of invasive tree of heaven. And thankfully at this uh, time, no alive uh, spotted lanternfly has been spotted, but we're constantly on the lookout for it. But would that be a kill on sight sort of thing? Are you even allowed to kill them on sight, or do you have to <laughs> take them and capture them in like a mason jar? Well, uh, at this point, we ask to take a photo first. Um, they can jump away quickly, so we ask maybe take a photo first and then capture it after the photo is taken. 
there, it's just really high, hard to identify a smushed insect. So, uh, and then we asked the uh, picture to be sent uh, to our department. And then once we confirm whether it's spotted lanternfly or not, we will then give further instructions of how to uh, send the specimen in to us. Final question here. How long do they live? What's the typical life, uh, life cycle? Yes. Yeah, so they only live for a year. There's only one generation a year. And uh, there's basically four main uh, stages to their life cycle. One is the egg mass, and that's the uh, stage we're most concerned about. It's the egg, in the egg mass stage for about seven months, and that's the stage that can be easily moved from one location to another, thus uh, starting the new infestation. Um, and then um, in spring, there's like a little tiny nymphs that are black and white. Uh, by midsummer, there's a later nymph that has red on it. And then starting in July all the way through December is when you'll see the adults. Any closing comments before I let you go? Yes. Yeah, so, um, again, if you're traveling in an infested area, uh, we ask to please check over your vehicle and any outdoor gear to make sure you're not accidentally bringing spotted lanternfly back to Missouri. And if you want to see a photo of this unique-looking insect and, or learn more about it, um, please go to our website at agriculture.mo.gov. Once again, that is agriculture.mo.gov. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past the turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's, it's our roads. It's, it's our safety. safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. If you talk and they will hear you Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. 
Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control, and priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Email from school about the incident today. Scary. Tell me about it. Did you have any idea that was going on? None. I mean, you saw Derek at the game last night, too. Did you have a clue? No, but you know, teachers like me, parents, we don't always know as much as you guys do. Kids hear first about what's going on with other kids. Half the time, it's rumors. It can be hard to tell sometimes, but if you have a concern about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, bullying, violence, anything, you need to tell an adult. Mom or me, a teacher, coach, school counselor, someone you know and trust. Dad, no kid is going to tell an adult about that kind of stuff. I get it, but if we don't know, we can't help. Speaking up about a problem, that's what helping a friend is all about. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You're listening to Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. A legislative effort aims to crack down on Missouri's temporary car tag abuse. Elisa Nelson is here with Representative Michael O'Donnell of St. Louis County about his bill. It's a very intriguing bill to me. So I want to I want to back up Representative O'Donnell. Um, talk to me about like what inspired you to file this bill. I, I think a lot of it is, was driven by constituent concerns. A lot of folks reaching out saying, you know, hey, I, I see these all over the place. And it, it just seems like it's gotten so bad in the last two or three years with folks driving around on, on expired temp tags. And, um, and so I started doing some, you know, I, I kind of took that cue from my constituents and started reaching out to some folks. I reached out to the auto dealers and, and said, Hey, you know, I, I'd like to, to sponsor a bill. I, I don't necessarily need to pers- be the person that handles it, uh, but I'm going to file, file it. And this was last session. I'm going to file it, and, um, and, and you know, if you guys want to work with me or, or whatever, let's let's work together and, and try to get this across the line. And the auto dealers came back and said, "We're we're absolutely ready." That the system was was in progress. The system that would allow them to collect the out of the sales tax and remit it to the de- Department of Revenue. Um, the, the program also figures out which taxes you owe based on where you live. Uh, in the state, you might have uh, it's going to be tied to your home address, so you might have some some local taxes that have to be collected and remitted as well. And that system was really close, and their response was, "Yeah, we're ready, and and we want to we want to do this." Um, but last session, we didn't get anywhere. The Speaker of the House, then uh, Rob Viscovo, thought the the um, collecting the sales tax put an undue burden on folks that that needed a little more time to come up with that money. Uh, the auto dealer's response to that was, "We're willing to finance that if that helps folks." And I think I think that really does help a lot of folks. It it changes having to come up with two thousand dollars all at once to maybe having to to pay an extra thirty dollars a month in your payment. A lot of folks would happily take that thirty bucks a month 
just to avoid the stress of driving around on a, on a tag that's expired. So that's kind of the, the origin of, of my being a handler for this bill. So do you think this is going to um, deal with a lot of the temp tag abuse that's going on? It should. It, there's what's I, I think what's driving this is, is the fact that folks have to come up with such a large lump of money, um, you know, in conjunction with uh, buying a car. And you know, a lot of folks I, I hear a lot of folks say, "Well, don't don't buy the car if you can't afford the tax." And I get that. I, my head's kind of in the same place as well. But you might have somebody that, that had a car a car totaled and needs to buy a, a new car. The money they receive from their insurance company goes to pay off the old loan, and here they are at ground zero. They've got no money to put down um, and, and therefore no money to, to pay the taxes either, but they still need that vehicle to, to show up at work. And so um, I, I have a you know, degree of empathy with some folks, and um, you know, I just I think this helps facilitate doing that. And, and it's happening in so many other states. You know, more than more than 45 states already do this. So Missouri is really late to the to the dance on this. I've had a lot of people come to me and say, we've been doing that in Illinois forever. Um, if you as a Missouri resident go to Illinois to buy, you know, or as if you're an Illinois resident, you come to Missouri, the, the auto dealers in Missouri already have to collect the sales tax at the point of sale and remit it to the state of Illinois. So it's it's not even a new um, it's not even going to be something really new for these folks other than it's going to a different place. Instead of going from Illinois, it's going to, uh, it's going to go to, to Missouri. So they're, they're kind of already in this, this mode as it is. And uh, I, I really do think it will help. Uh, I think it will really help a lot of folks that, that really could just use that, that, that financing method to, to kind of get the monkey off their back, to get the taxes paid and move on with their lives. So, We'll see. We're op- we're optimistic that that it's gonna will definitely take a huge chunk. I would say 90 plus percent bite out of anything going forward. Um, you know, and I think our next step will be to to deal with. And I think that some of the police I know in the St. Louis area have begun to attack uh, some of the, the temp tags that are expired now as well, just because they've gotten so pervasive. State Representative Michael O'Donnell joining Show Me Today. I'm Elisa Nelson. We're talking about a bill that he was able to get across the finish line this year that would let car dealers collect vehicle sales tax uh, before the customer leaves the car lot. Okay, so, yeah, it sounds like a lot of people need to get with the program. And it makes me wonder, is it like a slap on the wrist right now if people um, have temp tags that are expired? It is. I, I, I don't believe the, the fine is, is significant. I, I, I don't remember what the, the dollar figure is, um, but I had talked with some, some legislators, both Democrat and Republican, about some things we could do to attack the, the tags that are out there. Um, one of them was to, to uh, perhaps set up a payment plan with the de- Department of Revenue and in conjunction with that, up, up that, that fine, so up that penalty so that folks know, look, you either need to make a decision. You're either going to pay a huge fine for driving around this this tag, or you're going to go to the DOR and set up a payment plan to get it to get it taken care of. So, but yeah, I don't know the number off the top of my head. 
Now, uh, with your bill, would it require uh, car dealers to collect the sales tax, or is this just something that they uh, have the option of doing? Nope, it requires them to collect it. So when you go to a office supply store and you buy a pen, you have to pay the, the sales tax when you buy that pen, and the same thing will happen um, when you buy a vehicle from now on. We expect that the uh, the computer program should be tested and rolled out, should be inside of, should be less than two years. Um, we put kind of an open-ended uh, date on the bill so that as soon as the system is ready, they can start they can start collecting them, but they will be required. You won't be able to say, no, I'll, I'll take care of it. I'll, I'll go to the DOR. Nope, you're going to have to either roll it into the financing or write a check just as if you were at the Department of Revenue uh, prior to the bill passing. Any other high points about your bill that you think is important for Missouri drivers to know about? Uh, you know, I think it's I think the the shame of it is that we're we're so far behind other states. I think this just kind of catches us up with where we should have been for for a long time. Um, I think one of the biggest deterrents was the cost of the the system that would allow the auto dealers to, to connect to the Department of Revenue. Um, that, that computer system, uh, we've appropriated a couple of years ago about $80 million to, to bid out that, that computer system. So that's probably been the, the, the biggest deterrent. This, my bill had, had no opposition. Uh, it was pretty easily, pretty well received on both the Senate side and on the House side. So I think, I think we're just finally getting to where we should be. So yeah, I'm kind of, kind of excited to, to get, get it done and, and, finally be where we should be. Now, you talked about uh, previous opposition, uh, like last year or whatever. Uh, did, what kind of opposition did you hear about this year? You know, I think a lot of folks had questions about how it would work. Um, you know, initially, you're, you know, when, when the auto dealers start collecting it, they're going to issue you a, a shorter temporary tag. Um, knowing that the Department of Revenue is going to have your license plates ready much sooner, and you won't drive around on a temp tag knowing full well all you've got to do is simply go in and pick up your plates. The end goal, and I've talked with the folks at the Department of Revenue, the end goal is having their system to the point that you pay your sales tax at the at the dealership, you leave there with a short-term temp tag, and ultimately your license plates come to you in the mail. That's that's kind of the, the the end state that we're we're hoping to get to. Just not having to go into the Department of Revenue is a benefit for everyone, right? Um, you know, folks that are already paying the, the sales tax and and picking up their plates right away, um, there you would think, oh well, there's really no benefit to those folks. Well, yeah, the, the benefit's going to be that they're they're not going to have to go to the Department of Revenue every time they, they buy a vehicle. Um, Right. The early stages, they will, but the end state uh, will be license plates being mailed directly to them. So they buy the car at the dealership and they go home and look for their plates. All right. That's State Representative Michael O'Donnell of St. Louis County. If you want to hear more, subscribe to Show Me Today on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. What I remember most is the loneliness I felt, the separation from other people, at the end, drinking was no fun for me. 
since I've started to attend AA meetings, the greatest gift is that I've become reconnected. I'm part of life again. I really like myself, and that's wonderful. AA is a miracle in my life. Visit aa.org for more information and download the Meeting Guide app to find a meeting near you. They are our love bugs and companions. They are our pets, our family, and they make life better. When we face unexpected challenges, so do our pets. That's why we're on a mission to support people and their pets. Whether donating a bag of kibble, sharing an Instagram post of a lost cat, or welcoming a foster pet into your home, every bit of kindness counts. Visit PetsAndPeopleTogether.org to learn how to be a helper in your community. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Hey, Jimmy, turn off the video games. Let's go play some ball. I'm in the middle of my game. Can't we go later? Come on, it'll be fun. It will be there when you get back. Okay, but there's no way you're going to win. Why don't you grab some water and granola bars, and then we'll see about that. You can make a difference. Eat smart, play hard. And when you do, your kids will too. A challenge from USDA. Some people won't give you the real talk on drugs. But it's time we know the facts. Fentanyl is often laced into illicit drugs and used to make fake versions of prescription pills. You can't see it, taste it, or smell it. Suppliers mix fentanyl into their products because it's potent and cheap. And the dealer might not even know. Keep yourself and others safe by knowing the real deal on fentanyl. Get the facts. Go to realdealonfentanyl.com. This message is brought to you by the Ad Council. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. Back on Show Me Today, Anthony Morabeth has been looking at some bills that were truly agreed to and finally passed the Missouri legislature and are just waiting a signature from Governor Mike Parson. Uh, the bill that we're looking at today focuses on rural emergency hospitals and what the Missouri legislature is doing to help keep them from closing. Here's Anthony with Speaker Pro Tem Mike Henderson. Okay, the, the main focus of this bill was to try to ensure that we're having Rural hospitals are closing at a record number across the state of Missouri, but also across the country. And so one of the main focus, we want to make sure that these people who live in these rural areas have the health care in, in a reasonably amount of time, reasonable amount of time available to them. And so that was the focus is to try to make sure that we're giving the options to some of these rural hospitals that would give them the things they need to make sure they're staying open and meeting the needs of these people in the community. 
So as I was reading more into this, it, it brought upon a couple of interesting questions as it relates to rural emergency hospitals and, and how it relates to the hospital licensing law itself. What is this hospital licensing law I'm reading about? Well, basically what this does, this allows them to choose if they want to become a rural emergency hospital. In 2021, there was a federal law passed that put some money available to keep these rural hospitals open across the country. It actually went into effect in January of this year. It was passed in late 21, went into effect in January of this year. So we brought it forward with the idea that if a hospital, a rural hospital, decides they want to take this designation, it qualifies them for $3 million more a year in cash, which is a large sum of money for some of these rural hospitals, like, say, in Iron County and some of the others that are in some of these small, small rural counties. And if they choose to, to take that money, there's a few things they have to do. One, they have to declare themselves a rural emergency hospital, which means that the average stay, that doesn't mean they can't keep people longer, but the average stay of their people would be for 24 hours or less. That means that they have to have a, a, a level one and level two agreement in with larger hospitals that say that I am very ill, that after a certain amount of time, I would be transferred to a level one or a level two hospital. The other thing it does is it says that they must maintain 24-hour pharmacy and 24-hour lab services, which is huge for the health care of those communities. So the community would get a 24-hour lab and a 24-hour pharmacy, and they would keep the hospital open. And yet we would make sure they get the care because if it was a long-term issue, they would transfer them to, to a larger hospital. Now, we, we've had a lot of rural hospital clo hospitals close in Missouri since the early 2000s. Are rural hospitals held to a different standard as opposed to hospitals you'd see, say, in uh, Kansas City or St. Louis? No, I don't think they are. I think the problem is they just, uh, and I know a little bit about this, payer mix. They're dealing a lot more with uh, patients that maybe do don't have higher-end insurance. And so, consequently, what they receive in some of these rural areas per uh, patient may be a lot different than you would say in Clayton, Missouri, for patients coming out of that area. So, consequently, they've had a little bit more trouble meeting all the needs they have to. They, get the same, they have to provide the same services, meet the same guidelines, but, but they're not receiving the same amount of funds to do this. And so this would give them a little bit of a leg up to make sure that they could do that. If you're just tuning in, we're talking with Speaker Pro Tem Representative Mike Henderson on Show Me Today. His House Bill 402 was truly agreed to and finally passed, awaiting a signature from Governor Mike Parson. And we're uh, basically talking about and picking apart various portions of this bill. In particular, we're talking about rural emergency hospitals, which was sort of the main focus of his bill before it turned into just a, a, a gigantic omnibus bill. And do you think, uh, Representative, this could help open up additional hospitals that may have closed recently? You know, I don't know if any new ones open up. I, I You know, that you probably need to ask somebody else that knows a little bit more about the health care. But what I do think, it will save some of these. I will give you an example of one that's not that far from where I live. Um, Iron County, if that were to close, there would be people who would be anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half away from the, the nearest hospital. Well, if you're having a heart attack, a major health issue, in my opinion, that's too far to be away from health care. Your only option is either by ambulance that far or airlifted in. 
And so it, it, if that hospital were to close, it would be an issue. And um, so we need to make sure some of these rural hospitals that are out in these areas, and we have quite a few of them around Missouri, that these people are still being afforded the health care they need. Not to mention the fact that if you live in rural Missouri and if you live an hour or an hour and a half away from your nearest medical facility, being taken by ambulance or airlifted to the nearest medical facility, uh, because of how far away you live, is going to be that much more expensive to try and pay that bill off when it comes due. Oh, very much so. It's going gonna, it's gonna to cost you more money. It's going to be more expensive. But, but the biggest factor is just the health care of those individuals, too. And so I just think that this – and, again, we are not requiring any hospital to change their designation to a rural emergency hospital. The hospitals have the choice to do this, and that's the beauty of the entire bill. But if they know that this is really going to help them, this is going to help them stay open, this is really needed for them, then they have the option of doing it. So is the situation for rural hospitals in terms of finances seriously that bad that the state legislature has to essentially step in and try and help them out? Well, actually, this isn't the state legislature that did this. We are just taking advantage of a federal law that was passed. And by passing this legislation, we give them the ability to take advantage of this additional federal funding that's going to go somewhere. So it's not even state dollars. It's going to be federal dollars. But we had to pass this bill to make that available to them. So I I think another provision of this bill that sort of goes hand in hand with what we're discussing is uh, authorizing a township or a county commission to basically rent or lease a nursing home to operate a health care facility. Again, going back to the idea of how important rural hospitals are to Missouri. They are. They're vital as a part of the network because, again, who wants to be an hour and a half away from the nearest hospital when you have a health emergency? So I think they're very vital to the health care of the people of Missouri. And, and I think we have to make sure that we're providing those services to all individuals of the state. I was also reading that, for example, the Missouri Hospital Association was in support of this provision of the bill. My reason in bringing that up is more or less uh, speculating whether or not this is going to be approved or not from uh, Governor Parson when that uh, when he makes that decision. You know, I, I mean, I can't, of course, speak for the governor's office, but I don't know of anything in the bill that would really draw a lot of uh, consternation on the part of the governor's office. I'm, I'm hoping it doesn't. I think it's really important that we we get these things this across the finish line, it's got a lot of different good parts in it, just like the APRN expanding of their services, which again is going to help rural communities, and which is where the governor comes from. But when you expand the services available from APRN, I think that's a that's a big help to the people of Missouri. Was there anything else of the bill that you wanted to bring up or mention? No, I think that's the, the majority of things I really wanted to mention on it. Uh, again, I think this will be. Uh, uh, this is not state dollars. It's federal dollars. All this bill does is make us available, Make let hospitals choose if they want to go for that designation. If they choose, they can then tap in to those federal dollars. I did want to bring this uh, point up as we bring this discussion to a close, and that was uh, simply observing from my point of view the different pieces of legislation that made it way through that made its way through the Missouri legislature this year specifically focused on rural Missouri, not just focused on St. Louis or Kansas City, 
but specifically focused on rural Missouri. And and obviously, seeing as how where you live, talk to me about the importance of that. Well, I you know into the state or St. Louis and Kansas City, and everybody acknowledges that, and Columbia and Springfield and so on, but. Rural Missouri is also very important in the state, and, and sometimes I think people in the rural areas feel like maybe they they don't get as much as them. And I think this session we're able to get some things done that's really going to make a difference in their life, and we need to make sure we're, we're here for all Missourians, and I think we are. House Bill 402 was truly agreed to and finally passed, awaiting a signature from Governor Mike Parson. That's Republican Speaker Pro Tem Representative Mike Henderson on Show Me Today. And I just wanted to mention in closing, be sure to subscribe to Show Me Today on Apple or Google Podcasts. Wherever you get them, just type in Show Me Today. You can download and listen and bring us wherever you are on the go. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Show Me Today. Back on Show Me Today, the Cardinals and Cubs are playing in London this weekend. Next year, the Cardinals and the Giants will play in Birmingham, Alabama at Rickwood Field, the oldest ballpark in America, built in 1910. I talked with Gerald Watkins, the director of the ballpark in Alabama. He says having the Cardinals play there next summer will be great. Uh, I got to go to a Cardinals game in St. Louis last year for the first time, and I was totally impressed by the fans, the, the team, and everything, and I'm, I'm really more in tune with the Cardinals now than I have been in the past, so uh, it's a wonderful thing to have them here. And I might add that in the Southeast, before the Braves came to the Southeast, the Cardinals were probably the most popular team because they were the closest. A lot of folks in uh, North Alabama, in uh, North Mississippi, and in West Tennessee grew up listening to KMOX, and so there's a bunch of Cardinal fans out there. And then. The Cardinals, uh, again, one of the more iconic names in baseball. You've got the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Cardinals and the Dodgers, probably the most most famous four teams out there that have the biggest and broadest uh, fanship all across the country. And a nice shout-out to KMOX, the flagship of the Cardinals. And for those of you in St. Louis listening to Show Me Today on KMOX, thank you and thanks to all of you for listening. I'm Bill Pollack. Have a great weekend. Show Me Today.